Well, hello, listeners. I'm Dr. James Dobson, the host of Family Talk. And if you were with us last time, you know that we were talking to Mark Levin, who's an icon who is heard and watched by millions of people on radio, television, and on social media. He's in the Radio Hall of Fame, a distinction that I'm also honored to hold. Mark has a Juris Doctorate from Temple University School of Law. He's a New York Times bestselling author of many books, including the latest one, American Marxism, which is flying off the shelves today. And we're going to continue talking about that today. He's back with us, and welcome, Mark. It's a delight to have you back. Thank you, Dr. Dobson. The honor is all mine. We want to get back to your book, but first I would like you to address the American military's shameful and botched withdrawal. It wasn't the fault of the military, uh, but uh, our departure from Afghanistan uh, ended on August 31st, and we are embarrassed. I am. I know many Americans are by what took place there. In fact, I'm outraged by it. I'm outraged with President Biden for leaving many American citizens and those Afghans who were our friends and they translated for us and they helped us in the war effort. Uh, This is a death sentence for many of them, isn't it? Yes, uh, I've never been more disgusted to be perfectly honest. We all knew Biden was a disaster. What he's done on the border is a disaster, all the inhumanity that's taking place there, the way he is uh, destroying our fiscal state in this country with this reckless, unbelievable spending, deficit spending, how they want to use the budget process to destroy our constitutional system, um, and massively increase the welfare state and the power of the central government, destroy our voting system and state authority. It's as if everything this man touches in the civil society is destroyed. He's a wrecking ball. And now, of course, that includes Afghanistan, which will go down in history as probably the greatest blunder militarily and diplomatically since the end of World War II. He has thrown away decades and decades of national security policy and military policy. Mm-hmm. But when you pull out under cover of dark and don't tell your allies, and so you take out all your air cover, you take out our CIA operatives and all the intelligence, you take out our contractors for providing mechanical support for the helicopters and so forth. After you spent two decades training an army, the Afghans, uh, to fight traditionally as we do with air power, with intelligence, uh, with special forces and so forth, and they were putting up a fight early on, well, they collapsed. Hmm. And this administration has some responsibility for that. But it has every responsibility for every American citizen who's now behind enemy lines. This is so horrendous. The implications for our national security, now they have a terrorist state right next to a nuclear state. The opportunities for the communist Chinese and the fascistic Russians are are manifold, and the danger that we now face is a hundred times worse than we did when we had those twenty five hundred troops there. Mm-hmm. You know, Mark uh, Shirley and I uh, often pray at the end of the day, and we have been grieved 
by what's happened to those primarily the military people who are abandoned and what must be going on with them now. They know that they're likely to be executed or put in prison or done worse to, tortured. And you can imagine that they're hiding there somewhere in the grass. Who knows where they are? Who's feeding them? Those who are wounded are perhaps without medical care, and they feel alone and lonely. They want their families, and we walked away and left them. That is unconscionable to me. You know, Dr. Dodd, we left school children over there. We left little girls over there. We know what's going to happen to them. What shocks me is that some of the generals at the highest level of the uh, Pentagon didn't resign in protest over this. This is a humiliation that is going to result in getting more and more Americans dead. And now that the cameras are gone, the media is not there, the slaughter begins. The genocide begins. And based on what we know from the past and some of what we've seen, you can imagine how horrendous this is going to be. I mentioned in the last program that uh, I try not to miss your Fox News show, Life, Liberty, and Levin. And uh, you said the other night, if we don't stand up to the Taliban, we're going to lose this great republic. Elaborate on that. Well, here's the thing. Just because we announced the 20-year war is over, it's not over. There's evil in the world. They're evil people. They're evil organizations. America is an exception. It's an exception. And uh, unfortunately, we have a generation of people in this country, a younger generation, that's really never had to confront it. They didn't fight in Vietnam and North Korea and, and all these other places. And so for them, when they hear a Biden or they hear a Pelosi or they hear a Blinken, the Secretary of State, it all makes sense. Uh, but none of it makes sense. And so what I was trying to say and what I'm trying to say now is we can leave Afghanistan, but Afghanistan is not going to leave us. We have now encouraged and provoked every one of our enemies, whatever they're up to, to do it faster and bigger because they know what we have in the Oval Office is a man who's even worse than Neville Chamberlain. And so now the Iranians are moving at breakneck speed on their nuclear weapons system, and Biden's trying to negotiate with them, and he's already gotten billions of dollars to them, which is exactly the wrong thing to do. Uh, and he uh, has pressured the Israelis to give hundreds of millions of dollars to the Palestinians. Hamas praised the Taliban. And, you know, the other thing that concerns me so much is the open border where we're mm -hmm. practically inviting terrorists to just walk through they don't even have to register or let anybody know they're there. They can just walk in and take whatever they want or bomb whatever looks attractive to them. Uh, it just anybody could see that. Why is it so difficult for the far left to recognize what we're doing here? Of course, you're 100% correct. And most of the media have not gone down there. Joe Biden hasn't gone down there to see how wonderful his policies have been. I'll tell you why. Because the Democrat Party is the funnel through which the American Marxist movement now uh, works. The squad. It's not a squad. It's a cabal. And that's the tail that wags the dog. 
And so what are they getting off the border? They believe it's going to empower them. They believe that the people who are coming in will get amnesty, they'll become American citizens, and two-thirds to three-fourths of them will vote Democrat. Uh, I also explain in the book there's this lat-crit movement throughout our colleges and universities, particularly in the Southwest and the West, where students are being taught that America is an illegitimate country, that uh, white European Protestants uh, conquered this land, that it belongs to the people who we call illegal aliens, that the only illegal aliens in America are the are the Europeans. This is what they're being taught. And um, and so this is a, a natural and very necessary response to what took place when this territory was illegally conquered. And so one of the first things Joe Biden did when he came into office was he signs all these executive orders that institute all these various uh, movements and, of course, immediately open the border wide open. So, you know, the virus comes through, he'll blame DeSantis. Crime comes through, he'll blame the cops. On and on and on. Anything comes through, he'll blame Trump. But in the meantime, you're going to have two to two and a half million illegal aliens in this country in the first year of the Biden presidency. And it's not going to stop. Talk about the uh, bullies who are out there in China and North Korea and Cuba and Venezuela and Russia who see weakness in this presidency and in this country. And we're almost inviting them to take a shot at us. What do you think is going on in their heads these days? Well, let's us, your audience, put our heads where their heads are. You see an extremely weak president. You see a uh, extremely weak top level at the Pentagon, generals and admirals. You see a secretary of state who you kicked around not too long ago, a national security advisor who believes that the way to deal with terrorism is through uh, financial aid and diplomacy. And you're thinking to yourself, wow, now's my opportunity. What is Biden going to do if we invade Taiwan? What's Biden going to do if we invade Ukraine? What's Biden going to do if we get nuclear missiles and aim them at Tel Aviv and Jerusalem? What's he going to do? He won't even save American citizens on the, who are now behind enemy lines. He won't even do that. So what's he going to do? So when you have somebody like this and you have circumstances like this, and this is why many of us can't sleep at night, we are in an extremely gravely dangerous situation right now that I do not remember any other time in my lifetime. We have never had an executive like this before. Address your comments to the American family. I am extremely concerned about what American Marxism means for marriage and the family and especially for children. That is addressed in your book. Talk about it here. First of all, parents, you're responsible for your kids. You can send them off to school, but you're going to make sure each and every day you know what they're learning and you make sure that you're teaching them. And I'll even say indoctrinating them with morality, with home principles, with the golden rule. I mean, doesn't the golden rule kind of say everything in the Ten Commandments mm -hmm. in real American history? Um, you cannot assume anymore you're sending your kid off to school and they're going to learn these things. But in many cases, they're going to learn the opposite. They're going to learn to hate you, family, and your country. 
So this is very, very important. Mm. Um, the other thing we need to do is attack these institutions, uh, not just passively accept what's going on. We pay for these government schools. We pay for the colleges and universities. We pay for everything. And there are more of us than there are them on the radical left. And the teacher unions have exposed themselves through this pandemic and now that they are not about your children for the most part. They are about them. They are about acquiring power, exercising power. And so we need to figure out clever ways to shake them up. And I give some suggestions in the book. Uh, When you look at spending, you know, I'm in my 60s, people in my age and older, it's the people who are younger, our children, our grandchildren, generations yet born, who are going to have to cope with an impossible debt. Yeah, we're leaving a mess for our children, aren't we? And you know what? So big is this disaster, they're never going to be able to claw their way out of it. Mark, surely they know that. Why do they want to destroy the greatest country that ever lived? Because they don't believe it's the greatest country that ever lived. These are Marxists in mind and heart and soul. They do not share what we believe in. They have every reason from their perspective uh, to hate us and to try and tear this country down. And that is their goal. And that is why in the first chapter I say it's here. You better wake up and look at it. It's staring you right in the face. It's here. You may not have believed it would be here, that it was even possible. It's here. It's possible. It's reality. And we've got to confront it. Mark, on page 217 of your book, you summarize four fundamental differences between Marxism and the Founding Fathers' vision for America. Repression instead of engagement. Compliance instead of speech conformity instead of independence, and subjugation instead of liberty. And I remember writing that chapter and then calling my wife over and reading it to her. And she said, I think you've hit it on the head there. And I'm sure there could be other differences too. But that's right. I mean, when you think about Marxism, and not to get too heavy, and Rousseauism and Hegelism and all these isms, The bottom line is to destroy the individual. Now, when you destroy the individual, you completely undermine the entire purpose for America. The Declaration of Independence is basically a a concise statement of the Renaissance, a a concise statement of the Enlightenment, a concise statement of Judeo-Christian bottom-line beliefs. The Declaration and the Constitution have been constantly attacked by the progeny of Marx, which is progressivism. That's what they name themselves. We know it's not that, but that's what they call themselves. So the intellectuals in the late 1800s, early 1900s, they would they would embrace the fundamentals of Marxism, and they understood that the Declaration of Independence needed to be trashed, and the Constitution and the limits that it would put on the social engineers needed to be trashed. This is a fundamental battle over the founding of America. This is a fundamental a battle over faith and family, and this is the battle we're in. This isn't a battle over over the edges anymore, or just you know mere policy disputes. This is a battle over life and liberty versus tyranny. Let's talk about some components of that. Uh, where does gender fit into this battle? Well, like everything else, uh, they have taken what traditionally and customarily has been accepted and blown it up. 
And so you actually have a transgender movement, a movement um, that's built around transgenderism. And it doesn't matter that it's a tiny fraction of society. I have argued that it is a way, again, to attack the nuclear family. And so kindergarten and elementary school students need to be taught about it, you see, in these government-slash-public schools. First of all, from my perspective, they shouldn't be taught anything about sex, period. But, you know, I guess I'm kind of old-fashioned. So now it's transgenderism, a transgender movement. I write about that in the book. Professors are promoting it. The teachers' unions are promoting it. The United Nations is promoting it. And you do have to ask yourself, why? Is it because so many people are discriminated against? No, and that can be easily addressed. No, it is now part of this intersectional, ideological American Marxism movement for the most part, uh, which again is an attack on tradition and, um, and customs in our country. They're, they're really undermining the very definition of personhood, aren't they? That's a very good way to put it. And because the overall attack is on the individual and the individual's human nature. Well, another component of it is the language police. Diane Revitch wrote a book. Mm -hmm. She's a historian and professor at New York University. And she was shocked when she looked into what's happening there. Uh, can you talk about it? Yeah, I mean, uh, she was one of the folks that was supposed to review these various textbooks going into the school system, and she was appalled. It's not that she's some big right-winger person in faith. Maybe she's both. I don't know, uh, but that's not her, was her reputation. And she was utterly shocked at the attack on language, and you can see the attack on language now. I, I quote another author in there about how these various totalitarian regimes, communist regimes, they grab a hold of the language. And you can hear the language used by the American Marxists. You can hear the language used by Democrats in the Democrat Party. That uh, if you have a state like Georgia that wants to uh, uh, alter its election laws to go back to pre-pandemic period and yet still liberalize the laws in many ways, uh, that's Jim Crow. So that's a use of the language to create the hysteria and jealousy and anger, particularly among minorities. Or they talk about human infrastructure bills. We used to call this Marxism and socialism, where they take our economy and turn it inside out and hand it over to the politicians and bureaucrats to redistribute liberty, to redistribute rights, and redistribute wealth. But they call that human infrastructure. Or they talk about reimagining the police. You can hear Kamala Harris and a slew of others talking about reimagining law enforcement, which means destroying it and imposing something else. And I can go on and on and on. So, so language is critical. Uh, control over the language is critical. Preventing people from using certain language um, like he and she or him and her or male and female and, you know, and coming mm -hmm. up with some uh, neutral phrase because somehow that offends people. And also, it bleeds into free speech, whether you see big tech. And those 58 different uh, sexual preferences came out of Facebook, or some aspect of Facebook, uh, where now they are used by the hard left to censor people and what they can say. And when I say people, I mean, in this case, mostly conservatives and people of faith. What you see here is this growing poison of tyranny. 
And so they slammed down on language, they slammed down on free speech, they slammed down on academic freedom, and they demand conformity and uniformity to their objectives. Again, this is something that that Marx and Hegel and Rousseau and the rest of them will be very proud of. Hmm. Mark, is there a link between the woke movement, critical race theory, and Black Lives Matter, and some of these other socialist movements? Yeah, Black Lives Matter is a product of American Marxism. At least two of the three founders have openly stated that they're Marxists. And early on in their mission statement, they would proudly say they are too. And what they want is to abolish the existing society. They call it the white dominant society through critical race theory and critical theory. They use race as the uh, mechanism through which to do it. But it is about taking out the society and starting it all over again. Herbert Marcuse and others, uh, Derek Bell, people will become familiar with them in the book. Uh, they came up with these various theories and ideas or promoted old theories and ideas uh, as a way of attacking the American system, as a way of attacking this country. Uh, because if you take down America, you take down everything else in the world, and they're well aware of that. Mark, we're running out of time. Let's, let's end with three quick questions. Where does Marxism lead, and what are its implications for America's future? It leads to totalitarianism. In some societies, it's brought on faster than others. It turns human being against human being based on physical characteristics, based on religious beliefs. It is the disuniting of a society. It is, if I can coin a word, the unassimilating of a society, the balkanization of a society. What does it lead to? It leads to violence. It leads to uh, unhappiness. It leads to poverty. It leads to all the things that we see in the rest of the world where they do not embrace uh, the kinds of principles and beliefs that we have for, for so long. It is, as a bottom line, just shocking to believe that this generation, this generation of American Marxists would take the finest, the most incredible nation on the face of the earth and destroy it. We are so blessed to have been born in this country or to have come to this country and to throw it away is just unacceptable, which is why I encourage people to stand up to this. And they despise the heritage of our founding fathers, don't they? That's right. How can we fight it? Well, I've done my best. I, I say what I say on the radio and TV, but I hope people will take a look at this book, and I hope it'll give them many, many ideas. Uh, we cannot fight it in the abstract. We cannot fight it as an ambiguous force. We didn't know exactly what we're up against, and we need to uh, find their weaknesses and their imperfections, and we need to pursue them. We need to use the strength of liberty and the strength of our Constitution against them. Mm -hmm. That's all we can do. I just pray that the American people will take seriously what you've had to say, because in its own way, this is a warning. This is not just a historical statement. This is a warning for where... Uh, this country is going, and it's moving so rapidly it takes my breath away. And uh, the very fact that many people have plunked down the cash to get a copy of this 300-page book and learn from it is encouraging to me. 
I appreciate the work that you do, Mark, and it's got so many dimensions to it. I don't know how you get it all done, but I appreciate you taking the time to be with us and to share your thoughts with us, and I look forward to hearing from our constituency. Uh, May God uh, bless you and protect you from those who would be highly offended by the conservative traditional things you have written. Thank you, Dr. Dobson, and God bless you and your family and all your followers and listeners. God bless this country. You take care of yourself. And you too. Well, that was a sobering perspective on the ideological state of our great nation from Dr. Dobson's guest, radio and TV host Mark Levin, here on Family Talk. Times like these, when confusion and deception and outright sin can be found everywhere you look, it can be so hard to navigate. It can also be easy to turn away in despair. But friend, I want to remind you that regardless of the circumstances, God is still in control. He is. We as Christians are called to speak truth and stand up for what is right. And Mark Levin's book, American Marxism, is a helpful guide for making sense of all the chaos that seems to be characteristic of these past couple of years. To learn more about Mark Levin and how you can get a copy of his book, visit drjamesdobson.org forward slash broadcast. That's drjamesdobson.org forward slash broadcast. That's all the time we have for today. I'm Roger Marsh, and on behalf of all of us here at the Dr. James Dobson Family Institute, may God richly bless you and your family. Thanks again for listening today to Family Talk. This has been a presentation of the Dr. James Dobson Family Institute.